Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to everyone, wherever you're listening from. Before you dive into this podcast, I would like to make sure that you're aware of or have either gone and listened to before this one, part one of endurance training, common mistakes. So I recorded an episode prior to this one that was looking at all the elements of low intensity, mid intensity and high intensity work with endurance training and how that affects your technical, psychological and physical outcomes when you're doing that form of training. So whilst you can listen to this particular episode, this is a part tour and I would strongly encourage you to go and listen to the other episode as well, because together they build up the whole picture and give you the overview on those two really common mistakes that I see within any climbers, whether that's boulderers or sport climbers or trad climbers training their endurance. Now, as I said, in this episode, I'm going to be looking at climbing style and angle. They kind of go a little bit together, but I think there are distinct elements to it. And like the previous episode, we're going to break these down into the repercussions on a technical side, a psychological side, and then a physical side. Now, to give you workable examples and give you some framework by what I mean when it comes to the climbing styles and angles or hold styles, maybe I should say, is that I would break the climbing angles into a number of different wall shapes or steepnesses. And I think they're really distinctive and they have a reasonable effect on the outcome that you have in any form of training. It goes at the lowest end or the least steep at slab. So anything from maybe two or three degrees off vertical will start to feel like a real slab, particularly if it has larger holds on it and you can really stand in. Then into vertical. Then the next bracket, the third one, is up to about 30 degrees. I think it's a very common way of climbing or style of climbing. And then you have 30 to 60 degrees, I think is a very broad, distinctive um, angle of climbing that you'll find. And then finally is roof climbing. So you can see there's actually a really quite a broad range of angles that you get in climbing and all of them have distinctive ways of climbing and the ways your body will move, the physiological adaptations they'll cause when you spend a lot of time on them, the psychology, the tactics, everything. So I want to make sure that you're not categorizing first off your climbing all the way down into, ah, oh, you know what? There's just slab and vert and there's steep boards. That's it. I don't think that's actually true. I think it's broader than that. And this is even moving away from saying there's a rets and there's grooves and there's cracks and all that. I'm not going to make it too complicated, but I do think that that angle bit is really important because I see way, way too many climbers. And I'm guilty of this myself, even of climbing predominantly probably on just two angles for likely 90 plus time, 90 plus percent of their time. And the best climbers that you'll see develop over the years will be the ones that are able to and have practiced on all forms of terrain. I think Adam Ondra is a really classic example of someone that's very, very good like that. And 
yes, you can argue back and say, oh, well, I watched, um, let's say, Stefano, Stefano Gasolfi training last year and climbing last year. And I only saw him climb on 45 degree boards. I know this isn't true, but this is a sort of hypothetical example. And you'll go, but he's really diverse. I've seen him do all sorts of stuff. That's just a single period of training in isolation. The best climbers are the ones that are really broad with their overall history and the overall pathway into the sport in terms of how they develop across all of those climbing angles. So that's super important. And those are some practical um, takeaways from what I think of as being those distinctive angles. And then next up is the five main types of hold that I think are very important. And first off, I'm just going to say that I'm going to take cracks out of this, even though I know that they are another distinctive one. And I am the person that loves their crack climbing. It's just a whole other area of training in a way. And it is really quite distinct from other forms of climbing. And you can have people who are just very, very good at that style and then aren't so good at others. But in terms of the main face categories, you have micro edging, which is where you have just anything from maybe five to maybe a little bit more than five, actually. Let's say just 10 mil and below. So that's half a pad and below. Then we have our 20 mil edges, maybe 25, possibly up to 30. So flatties good flat edges which are like what we get off a beast maker or a lattice edge or a tension fingerboard edge quite comfortable not what you would class as kind of a ratty little hold then are your pinches of all different shapes and sizes and then your open holds so 30 40 50 mil plus big slopers big ledges flat stuff where you're going to see uh, a much different uh, or, or a very different hand grip or position on those holds away from the edges that are 20 mil and below. And then finally, is you also have pockets, which are another distinct form of grip type. So all of those are going to factor back into the training that you're going to do with your endurance. And I see on the whole, both of those areas, so the angles that you climb at and then also the grip types that you use are vastly put into people's climbing in too narrow or too niche an area and they're not broad enough with their approach and I think I want to go through now the repercussions of those and give you some ideas of where you will see the ramifications and how that might affect your performance cycles or your training season or your goals further down the line. So let's break this down again, like the part one of the podcast, where we had our technical aspects, and then our psychological, and then our physical. So first off is on the technical side of things, is that if you don't have a broad range of grip types that you use within your endurance training, you will not develop the technique and the body positioning for holding those holds well. And that's what we're talking about efficiently, having a highly developed skill set on those holds. I assure you that if you spend 100% of your time climbing on really, really small holds, when you come 
to trying a project further down the year, even if you're insanely fit, strong, well-conditioned on big, flat, open holds, you won't climb as well. You just haven't refined the skill set appropriate to the grip type. So you want a broad range of grip types that go into your endurance training. I see so many people make mistakes with this. Sometimes it can be partly a problem for the commercial walls. I've often seen that people don't hugely like pockets, especially the root setters, and they don't put a lot of it indoors. But particularly on the pocket front, you want to have that stuff in there so that you can learn how to use them, how to hang on the skin, how to load the joints, how much you twist, how much you load down, how much you load to the side. Same again for slopers in particular, the body positioning that you need to use those, particularly with pressing and compression and the friction that you use. So, so, so key. The next up is down to movement efficiency. And you'll find that on different angle or different angles of terrain, that there's a way of climbing on those. And, and this is like upward movement rather than resting, which I'm about to come on to. And for each of those, there's an efficient way of doing it. So I will often see people who climb very efficiently on a 45 degree board, cannot execute efficient upward motion on a vertical board, or they can't, someone who climbs on slabs all the time, doesn't then know how to use a very, or climb well on very, very steep terrain. So it's about adapting to that angle type, which again will have a big impact into your performance down the line. Coupled with that is resting position as well. I think the way in which you rest and learn to become efficient in those rest positions and all the nuances of how you load your shoulders, how much you open your hips, how much you twist, when do you use a drop knee versus a frog is very, very distinct to terrain style as well. And to some degree, the grip types, because hanging off a sloper, it's quite different to hanging off a pocket and there's nuances to how you use those. So get that into your endurance training if you really want to build yourself into a broad, high-performing athlete. And then lastly, is from a technical and tactical point of view, is the pacing element as well. Steeper climbing typically is rewards faster, more higher momentum climbing, and you can get away with a much slower pace of climbing on vertical and slab climbing. Swap those two up, so have someone who's very, very slow, really takes their time on a slab, and then you put them into a roof setting or a 40 degree board, and they're just plodding around, having a think, slowly weighting their feet, slowly moving their hips around. They just get shut down so quickly and they don't quite understand why they feel like they're climbing so badly on that terrain. And often it's just this appropriate pacing related to that movement style and, of course, the angle and the terrain. Next section, so section two, is the psychology. And the big part of this with both the grip types and the angle of the terrain is familiarity and exposure to it. So if you spend a lot of your time on any one particular type of terrain or grip type, is you become really confident and adjusted psychologically. You just recognize it. You see a hold of this shape or you see a feature that looks like this. Your brain goes, ah, yeah, I know that. I'm very comfortable with it. I've done hundreds and hundreds of hours on this terrain type. This is me. 
I know how to perform. And you go into that automatic mode where you really, you're much more likely to flow and you're much more likely to see a better climbing performance. Whereas if it's brand new and you've barely done any of this type of terrain, your brain will typically go, whoa, this is overwhelming. I've got so much to think about here. Am I confident? Do I know how to move on this terrain? Do I know what to do? Have I even fallen off on this type of terrain? Is that even an aspect within there? So there's so many things that will build into that that will make it feel much harder if you haven't built that into your endurance training in your base season. This will significantly impact your on-siting as well, particularly on the confidence side of things. Um, I've just seen so many climbers over the years train on a particular angle of terrain or grip types and then and they they do really well and they're very very well conditioned they feel really fit really strong before they go away on a trip and then they try and go and on site on something that looks completely different and they have a really bad time and often one of the biggest reasons for this is not the physical training they've done or the technique they have it's just that they're so unaccustomed to in terms of the mindset and the confidence and the, the ability to get into a flow experience on that type of terrain that they they shut down and, and they can't achieve their true potential coupled with that finally on the last point on the psychological aspect also is problem solving skill sets if you spent a lot of time on certain types of grips and terrain however steep that is from slab through to roof is you know how to do all of the moves and you know how to solve the problems of sequences that's one of the fascinating things about climbing and why we all like it because essentially it's a problem solving exercise and that's fun whether that's on sighting quick red points or sieging red points we love trying to solve the problem and work out how to do things if you haven't refined that problem solving part through the sheer volume of dealing with lots of movements in that environment, you're much less refined and you're going to have a harder time when you try to perform. So it's going to impact it if you don't build it into that endurance phase. Last section is the physical. And we came onto this on part one when we talked about the physical ramifications, that low, mid and high intensity training. But now we're looking at those grip types and then also the steepness of which you're climbing. And probably for me, the biggest one on this front is the degree of sport or terrain or grip specific mobility that you have. And that goes all the way down from the loading of the soft tissues in your hand and forearm on, for example, pockets, and to the degree of mobility that you'll have in your hands and your forearms related to that because it's quite different holding a mono or a two finger pocket versus a very closed up full crimp uh, grip position and then also is if you're on much steeper train and you're using a lot of drop knees that internal rotation of the hip again vertical and slab external rotation the ability to frog out how much can you rock over your foot how much can you push over your foot the degree of thoracic mobility that you have to be able to push your chest in really close and raise your arms above your head. This is all going to really affect your performance ultimately. And if you don't have that degree of mobility, flexibility practiced and conditioned 
by working on those that variety of terrain and grip types, it's going to impact into your project. And just the mere practice of including that into your endurance training will improve that flexibility and mobility. It's an active form of flexibility training, essentially. The other thing is that you'll see that if you trade, so let's go two sides or let's polarize this. Let's take slab on one side and then 45, 60 degree boards on the other is that I would consider this split between lower body and upper body very different across those two terrains. So slab, there's a very, very high degree of dependency and loading on the lower body, body relative to that very steep terrain. Yes, you can get into drop knees, you can pull on heels, you've got knee bars as well that will bring in the lower body aspect. I think overall relative, it's higher on slabs. So when it comes to the training that you're doing, so that physiological stimulus and the adaptation that you receive out the latter end or the, the end of it, is that if you don't have the focus on the sports specific or the terrain specific muscles, then you're not going to condition and get those to change and adapt in the way that's relevant to what you're doing. So if you spend all of your time on steep boards where you're not really pushing down the toes and loading them at either a high intensity or long endurance, a long duration, then you're going to struggle if you then go onto vertical terrain and slab climbing, particularly if it's a route and you're spending a lot of time, your legs are going to be shaking, your calves are going to be pumping out, and you're going to be wondering, why is my endurance training not worked? Well, it has. It's just you've not spent it on the right terrain where it's working and pushing and stimulating the appropriate muscle groups in the body. Same again for the upper body. There's so much more stimulus on the shoulders, back, arms, all the way through the back, from lower back to upper back for that steep board work that you're going to do. And that's going to be useless if you're then performing on a completely different type of terrain where that isn't the limiting factor. So really think about this because it greatly impacts the results and the performance that you're going to see at the latter end once you've done this endurance training. So there you go. That takes us all the way through both those parts there. If you haven't gone and listened to part one, go and have a listen to it now. I hope you found both of those useful. Let us know if you have any other topics or anything else that you would like me to discuss. I'm always happy to break these areas down. And I hope that these always provide you with some thoughts and time to then reflect on how you're going to use these back into your own training and your own approach, because all of this is pointless unless you're able to take some of these points and think, does this occur in my training preparation and my life? And do I want to change these things? How does this affect my performance or my training journey? This is me signing out. I will be back again for another podcast very soon and hope you have a great day and we'll see you again very soon.